Casey Cardinia Libraries would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded. We wish to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening. Hello, and welcome to Book Matters, a Casey Cardinia Libraries podcast for people who love reading. My name is Janine, and I love chatting about books to people who write books or read books. So sit back, tune in, and you may just discover your next great read. In this episode, we chat to romance author Carly Lane about her book, Fool Me Once. Tim chats to local author and social worker Jess Sanders, whose book, Love Your Body, has been a great book for starting a conversation with young women about loving the skin you're in. Her latest book out this month is the much-anticipated follow-up, Be Your Own Man, which explores masculinity and what being a man really means. We also review The Cake Maker's Wish by Josephine Moon, American Dirt by Janine Cummins and Grown Ups by Marion Keyes. We hope you enjoy. Carly Lane lives on the beautiful mid-north coast of New South Wales. A certified small town girl, she is in her element living in a little town where everyone knows who your grandparents were. Carly writes in several genres, everything from romantic suspense, fantasy, family sagas and life in rural Australia. Her latest release, Fool Me Once, is out now. Hello Carly and welcome to Book Matters. Hello, this is very exciting. Oh, it's lovely to chat to you. Congratulations on your latest release. I devoured your book in two days. It oh, was, my goodness. Yeah, it was a great story. Can you tell our <laughs> listeners what Fool Me Once is all about? It's probably a little bit different to what I normally write. This one's got a very um, a different type of character. He's pretty well off, one of these millionaire type ones. Um, normally my characters are more everyday kind of people so this sort of took a little bit of a twist that way um and yeah it's uh features women on the land which is something really important to me and and a you know a little romance story in there as well so yeah and just um delves with a few different sort of topics but um Yeah, it's just a little bit different, this one. It highlighted a situation that farmers may find themselves in because of drought, bushfires and other natural occurrences when big companies and overseas conglomerates sweep in and buy up their properties at the fraction of their worth. So heartbreaking for people. It is, yeah. And it it happened a lot a few years ago. It was always in the media a lot. And then it's sort of, I think now it's more leaning towards all the foreign ownership and all the dramas that that causes sometimes. But yeah, it's a tough gig they've got. Farmers are always sort of struggling in one way or the other. Do you know anyone that that happened to? Did that inspire the storyline in it? No, it was more like with looking through magazines, seeing those stories, feeling really, really heartbroken for them. And in your book too, that the heroine of the story, Georgie, meets the hero at a bachelor and spinster's ball. Are you drawing on your own experience with this storyline? I think that was wishful thinking. I was married really young. I missed out on so many cool things. <laughs> I would have loved to have gone to a VNS. No. Yeah, I think that was just a little bit of I'll just live my life through my character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's the advantage that you writers have. You can write about absolutely anything. We can. Now, can you tell us a bit about yourself and how you became a published writer? Uh, I sort of always liked writing. I was sort of doing it a little bit when I wasn't reading. I found that when I loved a certain type of book if I ran out of that I just wanted to make my own so I kind of turned to dabbling at writing and then between kids and 
wife and everything happening, I sort of would pick it up and put it down depending on what was happening at the time. And it wasn't until probably um, about 2009 uh, I got into it. I thought I was going to do it seriously and I joined Romance Writers of Australia and just through their networking and finding out how to actually do it, I, um, yeah, turned my attention to doing that. Didn't know I was writing rural fiction really at the time. Just wrote about a, a small town and a, I was, it was prime time. They were looking for rural fiction. And I noticed that you write at least two books a year. How do you do that with juggling a family too? Uh, well, I'm not really that clever. I can't write ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty much ahead in my books. I like to keep um, a couple of books ahead. So, yeah, if that ever falls down, we're in trouble. So do you write every day? Do you have a sort of set writing time that you write every day? Uh, yeah. Well, I'm lucky enough to do it now as a job. Mm. So I sort of um, – usually try to treat it that way sometimes but usually by the time the kids go off to school and then I start and when they come home I stop it's really good hours oh that's good and I suppose it must have been a bit challenging lately you know with having the family at home there's a little bit I didn't realize how much they like to eat (laughs) (laughs) didn't I feed you yesterday So, yeah, that's been an issue. Yes, yes. Now, look, when I did my research on you, Carly, I was surprised to find that as well as your rural fiction novels, of which you've now written around 16, you also have written military romantic suspense novels plus a new series of paranormal urban fantasy novels, such diverse genres. I know. How weird is that? I I think I have too many stories sometimes floating in my head and I had to sort of get them out and it was sort of a good break to do something a bit different in between my rule stuff. They were actually written a little bit earlier and I sort of went back and rewrote and uh, republished some of the older ones, which was really lovely. Sort of had a few minutes on my hand there one day to redo that. But, um, yeah, it's good to have a little break, I think, sometimes, shake it up a bit. Now, I believe you self-published your military romantic suspense novels. How come you changed your writing genre to rural romance from there? What came first, the chicken or the egg sort of thing? Yeah, I wrote the military ones before I wrote my first rural fiction book. At the time, I was, well, I've always had a thing for military, so that's <laughs> Love a man in uniform. Oh, don't we all? I wrote that series and really loved it. I was trying, and I didn't really know what the market was. I didn't know anything really, so... When that sort of got knocked back and I didn't have any avenue for it, I thought, well, I'll change my tactic and I'll write something different, see if, you know, that's going to work. So I kind of, it was after one of the conferences I'd went to with big writing panels and things where they were saying, you know, write what you know, all that sort of stuff. So I decided to take their advice because they might know what they're talking about and sat down with just a, a blank screen and started writing a book about a woman that returned home to her small town and yeah, just pitched that to Alan and Unwin on their Friday pitch. And yeah, no one was more surprised than they said yes. <laughs> and then now you've branched out into urban fantasy. Are they ad- Will they be adult novels or are they young adult novels? Or both? Um, they're probably both. They've, they've sort of got adult characters in them, but they're not too raunchy or anything. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you can get away with teenage readers. That's in a series too. Um, is it just the three books in the series or do you think you'll yeah. write more? I don't know if I will. But mind you, the first book I wrote on that one, I didn't think that was going to be a series and it sort of turned into that um, over the years. So you never know. Well, Fool Me Once is the second book of yours that I've read. I had a look back on my Goodreads and I'd also read Tallowood Bound and that was a few years ago. And in my mm. review there, I actually said, 
that I needed to seek out more books by you. So I'm glad that I actually got to read this new one and to find that you've got a big back catalogue, which is great to know that I can go back and pick up any book of yours and I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Now, what's next for you? Another book on the horizon? Yeah, we've got a December release coming out. That one is actually, it's not a sequel or anything, but it features a character that I had in a previous book which was Someone Like You. Okay. Um, so, yeah, it's a different story, but with a character that didn't get his, his um, happy ending, I suppose, in that book. So he's got his own now. Oh, that's nice. Well, look, I've had a look and all of your rural fiction books are available to borrow at the library in every format we've got. We've got paperback, oh, audiobook, yeah. e-book, e-audiobook, the whole lot. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> and and they're all out on loan at the moment too because I thought, oh, I might, you know, hop onto BorrowBox and download another one to read. But no, I've got to wait till about September, October to do that. They're all out on loan, oh, which is no. great for you. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're going to have to do it before December. I will. I will. Look, I encourage everyone, any readers of rural fiction or women's fiction to read or listen to them. It's a perfect book for me and I really enjoyed Georgie and Michael's story. Look, thanks so much for chatting with us today. It's been great. Thank you for having me. This month, we would like to thank all those members who have joined us on Facebook at In a Nook with a Book. It has been great to connect with you all and find out your favourite reads. We are excited to share some more reviews with you as part of our off-the-shelf videos, which will be coming out each month. Joining is free. Just head to cclc.vic.gov.au and search for In a Nook with a Book and click Join. Hello, my name is Michaela and I am a part of the Outreach Services team at Casey Cardinia Libraries. I also coordinate our public and private book groups across the region. The book that I'm reviewing for you today is called American Dirt by Janine Cummins. This was published earlier this year. American Dirt was a title that I had seen as a must-read and up-and-coming title for 2020. When I noticed it in our top titles collection, I read the blurb and the author endorsement from Anne Patchett that read, I couldn't put it down, I'll never stop thinking about it, so I decided to give it a go. The opening chapter had me hooked. The story begins with a mother, Lydia, and her son, Luca, hiding in a, in a bathtub after they hear the murder of their family members outside at a family birthday celebration. As the story progresses, you quickly learn that the murder was committed by a powerful and widespread drug cartel. Life around them in Acapulco has slowly been changing with the infiltration of the drug cartel, but not affected them too directly until now. Lydia and her son, Luca, must leave to survive. I felt as though I was there with the characters trying to escape the widespread reach of the drug cartel as it followed Lydia and Luca north to the United States-Mexico border to lead them to their ultimate destination and element of safety, the USA. Their journey encompasses many stages and emotions, detailing the plight that still surrounds Mexicans today trying to migrate to the US and encouraged me to read further into this subject. Although now this book has received a lot of backlash, all of which can be found online, each of us are entitled to our varying opinions. As a work of fiction, I enjoyed the anticipation, the determination and hope that I felt for all of the characters. So far, this has been one of my top reads for 2020. You can now place American Dirt on hold via our online catalogue. Hi, it's Sandra from Hampton Park Library. 
The pandemic lockdown has had the reverse effect on me in that I've had little concentration for reading anything really. But as I was walking out the door of the library into our second lockdown in Melbourne, I quickly grabbed two titles off our top titles list just in case. So if you need a recommendation, nothing heavy, no non-fiction, something funny, but not silly, then you need Grown Ups by Marion Keys. At first I was a little daunted by its doorstopper appearance, but the world could have ended whilst I was reading it and I wouldn't have noticed. I just loved it. They're a big, glamorous family, the Caseys. You'll have to take notice of the family tree in the front cover. You'll need it to keep track of who's who, but it's not a hassle. The Caseys are made up of Johnny Casey and his two younger brothers, Ed and Liam, their beautiful, talented wives and their kids. Living a lush lifestyle, things seem perfect, but things are darker than they appear. Some people clash, while others like each other a little too much. They play happy families until Cara, Ed's wife, lets her thoughts and opinions fly at a family gathering and everyone's secrets are split, spilt. As the family falls apart, all the adults are forced to grow up. This is a long, witty, dramatic, funny story. It's entertaining, heartwarming, hilarious and with tragic, tear-jerking moments. The characters are complex, believable and very relatable. If you can keep track of the many characters, you'll be engaged by the fulfilling ending. I also love how Marion Keyes writes with an Irish accent. I'm not sure how to describe how this happens, but it's definitely there. If you want a real Irish accent to enjoy this book, you can download it on RB Digital or BorrowBox, or try and spot the accent in the hard copy like I did. Hello, I'm Janine from Bundle Place Library and I've been reading The Cake Maker's Wish by Australian author Josephine Moon. At the moment, I think we all appreciate a piece of heartwarming escapism in our reading choices and this book based on cake making is the perfect temporary antidote to our global situation. Single mum Olivia and her son Darcy decide to move to the Cotswolds area of England when she sees an article advertising for descendants of Stoneden to consider relocating and helping the town rebuild itself as part of the Renaissance project. Olivia had just lost her beloved grandmother who lived there as a girl and with nothing to hold her to her current life in Tasmania, they decide to move. On arrival, the village provides her with a cottage to live in and a shop where Olivia can open her own business making her cakes and desserts. They meet a lovely group of people who have also made the move and together they have the skills to open a number of different businesses which prove very successful. But lurking in the background are the old residents who just want to sell up their houses at top dollar and move on. And before too long, there are acts of sabotage randomly happening in the village. The other thing is that young Darcy's father lives in Norway and they have never met in person, only on Skype, until he re-enters their lives, having separated from his current wife and family. Poor Olivia is torn between her feelings for him, plus the very lovely dairy farmer Grayson, who begins supplying her fresh milk and dairy products for the cafe. I absolutely loved reading this book and the baked delights that appear every few pages make you hungry as you read. There's also a recipe for the Persian love cake that Olivia makes at the end of the book, which features during the celebrity wedding. I must say that I did also judge this book by its cover, which is one of the prettiest covers I've seen for a long time. 
just as well the story was as good as the cover. It'll definitely appeal to readers of small town fiction and women's fiction. If you love food-inspired storylines, you're in for a real treat with this novel. This book is also one of our top titles at the library, but you can reserve it as a paperback and it's also available as an audiobook. In a time when things are not looking that optimistic and maybe we're doing a little bit of self-reflection, we're fortunate enough to have access to quite a lot of different books regarding um, the way we perceive ourselves and also maybe ways that we could look at self-improvement and also understand that we're all individuals and we're all very different. And one of those books that if you've come into Bunchal Place Library and you've been recommended by me has been Love Your Body, which is a wonderfully illustrated and wonderfully well-written book about looking at yourself and respecting yourself. And it was written by Jessica Sanders and we are happy to be joined by Jess Sanders. Hi, Jess, and welcome to Book Matters. Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's awesome to be here. And it's so wonderful to know that you're from down the Casey Cardinia way because most of the authors we've been interviewing have been all over the place and it's nice to find someone that's a little closer to home. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I um, I went to school in Pakenham, so well and truly was around the area. I grew up in in sort of near Emerald. I think we, we had a Casey library there too. We used to get the library truck that would come to us before we had a library in Emerald. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm from out that way and so nice to be able to reconnect as I, I spent a lot of time living in Northcote recently. So it's, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You're allowed to leave. They yeah. all come back eventually, you know. What I mean? Where I wanted to really start with you is perhaps you could paint a little bit of a picture about your background um, before you started writing Love Your Body and what got you inspired to write it? Yeah, for sure. So um, I, I'd i never really um, growing up wanted to be a writer, actually. It's not something I'd identified. Like I liked I liked creativity generally. So I was like much more visual. My experiences as a young person in primary school and in high school were one that was, I, I guess I was just always a little bit on the outer. I felt a little bit different. Um, I was physically different because I was, I'm quite tall, like I'm six foot, but I think I also grew pretty quickly, pretty early. So I was always the tallest in any classroom and any student. And um, yeah, it just made me feel a little bit different. And um, I guess I understood what it felt like to not feel like you fit in and not where you know where you sit in the world. Um, and something that really sort of plagued me as a young person was my physical difference. So I was really preoccupied with you know, being bigger, being broader shouldered, being taller and, and getting pretty clear messages from early age that that is not how society wants girls to be. We like girls to be a bit like smaller and this idea of a girl that we see on TV and magazines, um, no one really looks like me. And so it, it's sort of that brain space, I guess, that I dedicated to worrying about how I looked and how others perceived me became really taxing and overwhelming. And um, as once I sort of got out of high school, I started unlearning all those really harmful messages and started freeing up brain space. And I thought, oh my gosh, it, why, why did I have to go through all of that to unlearn all of it later in life? It felt like such a waste of my time and energy and myself. And I thought, what could I have achieved or what could I have done if I wasn't so caught up in something that really at the end of the day didn't matter? Like I came to realize, you know, we have bodies not to be looked at, but to, to help us experience the world. So it just felt very senseless. But then I also looked around me and saw young girls who were pretty much destined to have a very similar experience. So like my experience of being dissatisfied with my body, um, a little bit of disordered eating, not an eating disorder, but a bit of disordered eating, 
um, and worrying about it all the time. That was the normal experience. I do not know a woman that hasn't suffered from a negative body image growing up. And so that kind of injustice got me really fired up to create something like this. And that's that's kind of where it was born, really, the sense of injustice and frustration and wanting it to be better for future generations. So that's when I wrote Love Your Body and it was originally um, a Kickstarter. I think there was a statistic in this book where it was something like more than ever before that people's perceptions of their own body image starts at a much young, like they become more aware of it at a younger age than they might have previously. And I guess that yeah. might be tied to things like social media and things like that. Absolutely. I, I actually think that it, it is definitely tied into social media, but I also think we underestimated how early it started before. I think we had a sort of social narrative around teenage years being when body image issues came into play. But if you were to really go back and examine, you'll notice that it's, it's like six, seven, eight, where little kids come to you and say, oh, I'm fat. My tummy's big. Like that. Oh my, I don't like the color of my skin. I don't like my hair. It's curly. Like it, it starts really early. Um, and I think we used to sort of like dismiss those things. But I think now in this conversation, we can see that that is the seed of something that can grow into something really damaging if not treated early and um, preventative education is something that's really important to me so that's why I think I wanted us to take those complaints seriously um, and, and the fact that yes they're exposed to social media so much more imagery than they ever were before um, which can be a good and bad thing because there's now div- more diversity than there's ever been but there's also um, more perfected and photoshopped images out there. So I just hope that this book would help parents identify when that happens, support them to have those conversations that can be, you know, life-saving um, and, yeah, help them navigate an increasingly complex world when it comes to, you know, our appearance and presenting ourselves to the world. Obviously, yeah, it's a it's a really complicated topic and there's so many layers to it, but the way that this book delivers advice is is so succinct and so straightforward and I'm guessing you've sort of honed that over over a few years. You've done some work in schools around Victoria, I'm guessing. How have you found that experience? Um, yeah, I love going into schools and, and working with young people. It really helps me tap into the voice that I use in the book and, and understand, you know, what, to meet them where they're at and what's going on for them. And so, yeah, I guess working as a social work, worker with young people, I was actually working in an all-girls school at the time, like doing my social work placement when I started writing Love Your Body. So those interactions have all definitely um, sort of found their way into into Love Your Body. And, and once I had written it, I actually got a job at the Butterfly Foundation and started doing that more frequently in high schools. Um, but now my focus is really on primary schools because I think I have a role to play there in prevention and getting in early um, and having, you know, more nuanced conversations. They're not just about body images you've probably seen for the book. It's also about self-worth and the self-talk and self-care and, um, you know, relationship to others and sort of good values, like everything's kind of filtered in there around the message of, of body appreciation and acceptance. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the lessons that came from research, but also refining, I think um, someone described this to me the other day, but I find myself like what I like to do is a bit of a you call me a truth hunter I'm like looking for the <laughs> fundamental truths all the time that are at the root of all these things and sort of simplifying it and that's why I really like children's books because you sort of find what's true what resonates for you and other people and then over time you collect those and then put them into a medium that's really sort of accessible for people so that's why 
yeah, that's kind of, like, I guess, the the process that I went through for that. If you haven't picked up a copy of, of Love Your Body at the library or in the bookstore, it is just so beautifully illustrated. It is essentially like the delivery of the information is almost like a picture book, but the, the information that it covers is so, some of the stuff is just so, um, uh, it's so accessible. So you could read this with someone who's in primary school and very much feel like you're reading a picture book and then go on to to, to keep this book on the bookshelf for later on in life. How did you how did you find um Carol it was a Carol Rossetti who did the illustrations in that one? Yeah. Oh she's how did you, how did you guys wonderful. team up? That's it, wow, you must you really landed on such a, an amazing illustrator that Yeah, she was my first first choice and I still haven't found another illustrator that can capture like that true body diversity in that way. Um, it was just really authentic to women's experiences and women's bodies. And it's just a testament, I guess, to how she observes and really honors like females. And so, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I came across her through Instagram and I reached out, you know, found her email, found her website, sent her an email and said, Hey, this is my concept I'm thinking of doing. Would you be keen? And she was like, absolutely. And we just had a little, um, like a zoom chat and, got to know each other a little bit and we were yeah just really on the same page like values wise and and our mission was aligned um so yeah it sort of went from there and I as I said it was a, it was a kickstart originally so the whole process of creating the book up until sort of you know there was a few tweaks at the end there that my publisher worked on but it was myself um working directly with Carol and then working directly with my designer Steph Bartels who's based um in Melbourne and it was just such a fun collaboration to have such awesome women you know on my side that also needed this book growing up like every woman I speak to resonates with it because they needed it too and so I don't know it just creates a really beautiful connection to people and so I've, I've so enjoyed that experience of working with them and then I also when I eventually you know got my publisher five mile that relationship was also really wonderful because all the females in that workplace also really got it and like actually part of their pitch to sort of get the book had personal testimonies about why it was important to them so it's it's been such a fun process and I as I said I'm quite a visually creative person so I really liked having influence and being able to communicate my vision to them to bring it to life and I've sort of kept that going in my relationships with my publisher as well I like to um, you know have a lot of input into what it looks like that is really really cool you found her on Instagram is just a testament to the, you know, I, I think I said before, oh, you know, social media can have a, a detrimental impact on our personal perception of ourselves. But at the same time, it's fostering so many of these great, unique opportunities to to turn the tables and make it into something really special and, and really good. So that's that's a fantastic connection, which is Instagram, really honestly, like I, it has educated me. Like I the part of my sort of body acceptance revolution came from these body positive women online that were starting conversations that we just weren't having in the mainstream um, and that I was able to access and learn from and also feel liberated by seeing them show their bodies in ways that I'd never seen. I could find people that had bodies like me and I could learn from them and hear their experiences and that really fed into the book. I don't I don't think without them I wouldn't have been able to write it, to be honest. So I'm an advocate that Instagram can be fantastic if if utilized in the right way you just have to curate your feed and find the right people with the right values but if you fill it with people that maybe don't share your values and that are maybe just trying to capitalize off you um then it can be a poor experience but yeah if you find the right people it can be great how did you find the kickstarter experience i created 
the whole kind of campaign myself. So like I have a little bit of, I liked a bit of design. I studied photography at uni. So I was able to put together that platform and, um, you know, very ad hocly. Oh, that one has been so good. Just taking those elements of like what you were passionate about and being able to pull them together rather than just doing a group assignment here or there. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like, I did actually bring it into uni at one point, but I also got to use like the uni studio. So film, like film in there and just to save money, I was doing this all on my own back, like paying everyone and and doing everything. (laughs) So, you know, but I believed in it so much. I have a very, um, very fiercely determined when I believe in something. And I also had a, you know, I had a big vision for it. And I was like, yep, I'm just going to, I'm going to back myself, which I think is really important. We should always back ourselves. Um, yeah, so it was it was really cool to sort of bring that to life. To be honest, I didn't really know what I was doing, particularly in a marketing sense. So like, it was pretty amazing that it got to its goal of I think we we raised about twenty nine thousand dollars and we pre sold about one thousand two hundred books or something. And I didn't spend a cent on marketing, so I'm like very fortunate that there were online communities that you know I'd been learning from that rallied around me and word of mouth and family members, of course, that meant it could sort of come out into the world. And it was definitely stressful trying to get media, <laughs> which no one ever replied to my, you know, emails and like navigating it without a publicist, all that kind of stuff. I've, I've learned a lot through the process, but it was, it was cool to start it out myself and, and not be, I, I think I did it self-publishing to begin with, cause I was worried I might be uh, censored a little bit by mainstream publishing just because like I had cellulite and stretch marks and, and bigger bodies in there. And I thought I'm not compromising on that. And I just, I guess reactively thought that someone might, but I found the right fit of a publisher who who backed it all the way. So yeah, but it was a cool experience. I suppose we better get started talking about your new book <laughs> to see something like this come out as um, really exciting. It's called Be Your Own Man. Um, and you worked on this with, uh, I think it was at Robbie Cathro that you got to do the illustrations for this one. Yes. So Robbie Cathro is based cool in as. London. Robbie's, Robbie's <laughs> fantastic. He, he, so yeah, he's based in London. So it was like, again, Carol's based in Brazil. So it was the same sort of remote communication, which I think we're all very familiar with now. It feels like the norm. Hey, yeah, it was, it was, he's just immensely talented. This was his first picture book or children's book and I was just so impressed by what he came back with and I, I, I did want a male illustrator for this book just because you know Carol spoke so well to the female experience I wanted a male to be able to capture that too in the illustrations and visual messages are just as important to me as written messages and I know that even particularly boys like sometimes that they are looking at the pictures and engaging that more than they are the words so Like I try to fit as many sort of even subconscious or just subtle messages in where I can. So I I write pretty detailed briefs, but he nailed them. Particularly I had one brief, which was pretty, it sounds extravagant, but it was around feelings and I wanted him to be able to capture visually feelings sort of coming out of a person and then sort of moving Mm -hmm. around because we're talking about processing, releasing and what happens when feelings build up. He nailed it. He just, um, it, it it was really incredible. So yeah, it was such an awesome experience and to have him, understand you know like growing up as a boy and what it means that male stereotype how it plays on them so to to introduce the themes of the book it's it's basically it is sort of that carry on from love your body but it is a book in its own right the reason for that was because when I wrote love your body it was about all the things that were holding girls back from achieving their full potential and so this Mm -hmm. is about everything that's holding boys back from achieving their full potential and through you know what my work in schools and research it's it's pretty clearly the narrow definition of what it means to be a man or a boy in our society is is limiting them and 
um, you know, removing access to really beautiful human qualities that aren't gendered, like vulnerability, sensitivity, creativity. And not only is that tragic for a boy sort of never being able to reach his full self and potential if he's not feeling free to uh, embrace those things, but it could also cause a lot of emotional and physical harm to, to self or others. So some research that I've been referencing a lot is by the Men's Project, and it found that um, for so, so of, of boys or men, sort of aged 18 to 30, they interviewed a thousand men and found that of those men who ascribe to the traditional male stereotype, so you know, not showing feelings and being in control, being very stoic and physically strong and stuff, those men um, were much more likely to engage in sort of violent behaviors or experience violence, um, you know, bullying, having mental health issues. And of 44% of those men had thought about suicide in the past two weeks. So there's this cre- clear uh-huh. correlation between gender stereotypes and poor health, mental and physical outcomes for boys and men. So I was kind of using that approach to break down what it means to be a boy and a man and then open it up so that boys feel free to build an identity that feels right for them and give them the emotional tools that would help them get there. Because I think we can't just say you can be anything and everything and and sort of set up almost this false hope where, you know, there are going to be ups and downs in life. And sometimes when you are yourself, you face challenges, but it's about building that resilience and, and giving them the tools to navigate, you know, all areas of life, but particularly as they're forming their identity. It's something that's so important to kids. They're thinking about their identity and how they can be all the time. I think we underestimate how much they think about it. Kind of my my gift to them, my manifesto for them. And yeah, the feedback has been really beautiful so far, just like a lot of vulnerable conversations being opened up. And I really framed soft qualities that boys are discouraged from and I showed their strengths and what, you know, the strength of vulnerability and connection and or the strength of authenticity when you're yourself, you give other people permission to be yourself or um, like all those kind of beautiful things I tried to really pull out so that they felt empowered to lean into softness and also so that they respected the softness in other people because we associate softness with girls and with women and it's part of the reason that you know gender inequality is built on this kind of hatred of feminine qualities and we associate femininity with sensitivity so it's kind of like boys do not like it within themselves and try to remove it from within themselves which causes harm but they also then don't value perhaps women as much because they associate them with the softer qualities so there's I did a postgrad in gender and so there's always this underlying um, gender work that's happening and I think a big shift for me I think that needs to happen socially is how we relate to soft qualities. I think it was the 2015 there was this documentary that got made by um, I think it was Jen- like Jennifer Newsom I think it was which was about like the the mask you live in which is this mm. really great documentary about mm. um, masculinity and I think it got me thinking back then too about those you know those old phrases and quotes like boys don't cry and you know, you've got to man up and be a man. Mm. And you think about all of those phrases that, you know, got iterated on and on and on through like Hollywood movies and documentaries and or more so movies, I guess. And then in the public sphere about this, mm. yeah, this reputation that men couldn't cry or, or, or demonstrate a softer side. Um, and even working in libraries, you know, being a, a, a man delivering, you know, story times to children and things like that. It's always something that plays in the back of your mind about, well, what example are you setting for the younger younger men growing up. This book sounds like an excellent investigation into that. Could you give us maybe a couple of those takeaways from the book? Oh, I guess like there's lots of takeaways. I, I like to sneak lots of messages in as you would have seen in Love Your Body and I, everyone's different and everyone's going to resonate 
with something different probably. The main thing is uh, just, yeah, I think it's that power and softness. Um, I, you know, when I was growing up, also internalized a bit of misogyny and that I thought it was weak to cry and to show your feelings. And so I'm still... I'm unlearning that as an adult now. So it's not it's not just affecting boys. So I do hope girls get something out of this too if they read it, um, boys and parents, and I hope that they, you know, learn that it's okay. <laughs> it's not only just okay to release emotions, that it's a very essential part of life and it's important for their health. And, um, you know, we, I think we all know, particularly as adults, that vulnerability isn't easy. It's actually sort of the bravest thing that you can do. That's wonderful. And on that note, congratulations on your new book coming out. If people are looking for it, they can find it in bookstores around Melbourne. You can also find it online as well. If you'd like more information on Jess, uh, she has a website you can go to um, to check out, which is www.re-shape.com dot info which is am i am i right jess did i get that That right? was that was it exactly it's a little bit tricky with Bang the dash on. but reader shape.info um yeah uh, we definitely have copies at the library if you want to put them on reserve love your body is available and be your own man will be available very very soon jess it's been a pleasure to talk to you today and wish you all the best before you go is there any books that you've been reading lately that you could recommend yeah, look, to be honest, I, I have been, I feel like I've been busier than I ever have, which is bizarre because I can't <laughs> even leave the house. But I do prioritize reading. I think I like to read quite widely. Something that's pretty correlated to Be Your Own Man that I thought everyone should read, particularly parents and educators, is um, Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett. And he's he's based in the US and it just came out there recently. So it's a little bit tricky to get here. You can order online and I, I hope it's coming out in stores here soon and I hope the library can get a copy too because there's just so much valuable information in there about emotions and feelings and sort of it just really is a deep dive into what I just mentioned before there about vulnerability and, and opening up safe spaces. And then fiction-wise... I've just been reading Conversations with Friends by Silly Rooney because I love normal people so much and I think I could binge that easily this afternoon. <laughs> oh, well, it's been lovely chatting to you. Thanks, Jess, and um, all the best. Thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for having me. That was Tim speaking to Jess Sanders about her new book, Be Your Own Man, which can be reserved on the library website. For more details on the books mentioned in this podcast, as well as information from the library, head to www.cclc.vic.gov.au or visit our new Facebook group, In a Nook with a Book, where you can let us know what you've been reading. Until next time, this has been Janine and you've been listening to Book Matters, a CCLC podcast for people who like to read, made by people who love reading. Goodbye. Goodbye.